Good evening, everyone. It's wonderful to see you here tonight, and uh, we're excited about our midweek Bible study this evening. But I just got to tell you, I love the buzz in the room. Sound like people are just enjoying some connection and fellowship. More about that in just a moment. But it is good to see you tonight, family. Good to see my brothers and sisters. Uh, for those of you here on campus and all of you joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we'd like to say welcome to you as well. I'm going to give you just a few announcements this evening. Uh, first of all, we want to uh, remind you that uh, camp meeting is coming up the July 5th through the 8th. So I know that's a, a big time for a lot of people. Also, we've been announcing um, the beginnings of a, a new uh, Sunday morning class for our young adults. And that's for all of our um, Grace folks that are college age to age 40. And that class will be meeting in the A Center at 10 a.m. And so that will uh, begin on the 10th of July. So Sunday, July 10th, that'll be the Sunday after camp meeting. And uh, we hope that you will come and be a part of that. Also, on Sunday, July 10th, we will have a, a, the rescheduled meeting for all of you who have signed up to be a connect group uh, leader. And uh, the, you would know who you are, that that was postponed last week due to inclement weather. But at 6 p.m. on Sunday, July 10th, there will be a meeting for you in the ACE Center as well. So please keep those things in mind. Uh, Two Sundays ago in the um, adult class, I talked to you about the, the value of gathering and being a part of um, God's family, and I also uh, mentioned it to you last Wednesday night. I want to just go back to that one more time because I saw it again today in a passage that I was reading from Ruth. In Romans chapter 1, the writer said um, that I long, this is Romans 1, 11 through 12, he said, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. He's saying, I, I want to be with you so that I can give you something. And I want to be encouraged by your faith, and I want you to be encouraged by mine. The story of Ruth is probably one of the most beautiful uh, examples and, and just a wonderful tableau of the power of connection and being connected to someone and what that connection can actually do in your life. And I don't have time to recount the whole story, but at one point, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, has said, do not call me Naomi anymore, but call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant, but Mara means bitter. And there's something that's happened in my life that is so devastating. I'm not who I used to be. I have a new identity, and my new identity is is very different. So call me, call me bitter. And she was returning back to Bethlehem from where she had been living in Moab after these horrific losses of her husband and both of her sons. And um, as she's trying to leave, Ruth replies to her, and this is found in Ruth chapter one. She says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Now, Ruth is a Moabite, not a Hebrew. And she says, your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And Ruth finishes by saying, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And that's a powerful statement of connection. It's a powerful statement of of commitment. But the thing that I find fascinating about this whole story is that Naomi, the Hebrew, found herself in a position where she needed the faith and connection of, from, of a Moabite. And that connection to Ruth is what eventually redeemed Naomi. So not just only Ruth's life was redeemed, but also Naomi's. So I look forward to being with you, brothers and sisters, because your faith is going to encourage me, and my faith is going to encourage you. It's just another biblical example of the fact, y'all, that we need each other. And whenever we share life, whenever we share our lives with each other, that's a life that is just, it's full. And it's a life that's fully lived. God bless you this evening.
Well, good evening, everybody. Had I known that Brother Jason was going to make such a wonderful presentation, I would have gladly surrendered my slot here tonight to him. So well done, and what a great example, outstanding example of the beauty and the profit of connecting yourself with people. And in the story of Naomi and Ruth, I don't see anywhere in, in that story where any of this was going to materialize like it did. So they didn't know when they partnered up and Ruth made this incredible commitment to her, I'll go where you go and lodge where you lodge and all of that. Who knew that it would all end up that way? So keep that in mind in your relationships especially, but as we're moving uh, closer and closer to launching our connect groups. Um, keep that in mind. You never know who you're going to connect with. It can make an incredible impact on your life at some point uh, down the line. <clears throat> and you may never see it coming. Very good word tonight from Brother Jason. Thank you. Uh, great to be here and uh, great to see all of you. Just a, a nice turnout here tonight on Wednesday night and I'm Deeply appreciative of you coming so faithfully uh, Wednesday night after Wednesday night after Wednesday night. And uh, we trust that when you leave, you've been enriched by something that was said from the Word of God. I thought about when I was actually on my way to church tonight about the, the study that I, I'm, I'm going to present tonight. I thought about how wonderful of a cook my mother was. Uh, growing up and what have you and but I can't go back to one specific thing that made me grow into the person I am today probably a little bit more of the person I am today than I should be due to her cooking right um, but I can't go back to one thing when you put it all together uh, it works and I believe the Word of God there's a, a similar parallel with the Word of God can't go back to one sermon one bible study but if you hear enough of it and you obey it you believe it it will have a major major impact on your life um do remember all of the announcements that brother jason just made especially we've rescheduled our connect group leader meeting uh for july the 10th and we'll pray for better weather and uh, uh hopefully uh that will come to pass i cannot describe to you my incredible disappointment when about the time it was start it was time to get ready for that meeting that uh, the heavens opened thought sometimes timing is impeccable but god knows what he's doing who knows uh, i'm not going to question that and uh, we'll move forward and uh, do the best we can um, i started a bible study last wednesday night called our mission i didn't finish it and uh had mentioned that and I, I try to always say, Lord willing, we will finish it next Wednesday night, what have you. And um, as church time tonight grew closer and closer, uh, I began to realize that perhaps the Lord wasn't willing uh, for that Bible study to be continued tonight. And perhaps we can finish it in the very near future. But I have felt to go in a completely different direction tonight. I feel very strongly about this Bible study. I know it's not going to be Sunday morning hooping and hollering, but the word of God is none less powerful. And um, I feel like the Lord has a word for somebody here tonight. I don't know who. Sometimes I come to the pulpit with, with people in my mind and my heart that I'd love to see God do something mighty for. Tonight is, is not that case. Uh, just want to present this to all of you folks and the sweet people that are watching uh, via live stream, Facebook Live, etc. And uh, we trust that this presentation will be a blessing to you in the, just the last uh, little while of my preparing for tonight. Uh, it has certainly been a blessing to me. I want to read tonight from Romans chapter 4, verse 17. It's great to see our young folks back here tonight, by the way. And uh, I'm sure they are so thrilled that youth camp is over and they're so glad to be back home and finish out the summer and start school. Glad they got youth camp over with, right? We're glad y'all are back. And when they go to youth camp, they go seriously. Most of our young people here tonight have been there for three weeks. And God bless the parents 
that are willing to make all of that happen. Romans chapter 4, verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, obviously talking about Abraham, before him who he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calls those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And be not weak in faith, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, which means he could not father children. When he was about a hundred years old, neither uh, yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, that she could not have children. Knowing all of that, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. A beautiful, beautiful passage found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. I just love the sound of it. I love the ring to it. Um, somebody made it into a song. The Bible said, the wise man said, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. He makes all things beautiful in his time, but man don't understand it. You don't understand how it works. You don't understand how God does it. One translation said, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God does everything just right and on time, but people can never completely understand what he is doing. I don't mean for my, again, my title here tonight in reference to making a to-do out of it Sunday to be generic, but I want to talk to you tonight about simply waiting on God, just waiting on God. I have thought uh, numerous times this, this week about the message we presented Sunday, about the folks just taking Jesus at face value when he said, go to Jerusalem, tarry. Everybody say tarry. Uh, everybody say tarry. Said, Terry, until you be endued with power from on high, and we've preached that and how the Holy Ghost fell or whatever. But I've not heard a lot of preaching about that 10 to 14 days it's believed that they just sat there and essentially waited, stared at each other. God made us a promise. The Holy Ghost came as a rushing mighty wind. They didn't even feel a breeze. It's interesting to me that the first thing the disciples had to do when they got to the upper room was to wait. <clears throat> Hadn't quite thought of it in this context before. And as a matter of fact, this hit me on the way to church. And they waited more than a day, more than two days, more than a week. They waited, just sat there, no explanation, no affirmation they was doing the right thing. There wasn't a message in tongues interpretation. There wasn't nobody prophesying. And at this point, Jesus' commandment was only verbal. So they really didn't have a Bible that they could point their finger to in chapter and verse and say, well, you know, he told us, you know, so-and-so prophesied about this in the Old Testament. Well, it was prophesied, but not like Jesus said it. They took him strictly at face value on a verbal command. And the first, one of the first precedent that God set in the establishment of the church is that sometimes you just have to wait. Does that make sense to anybody? Am I the only one that a light just came on in my head kind of thing? So based on the life of Abraham, there are six phases or levels, whatever word you want to put in that blank that's appropriate and, and fits. There are six phases of faith based on the life of Abraham, and I believe this is incredibly legitimate because Abraham is the one whom we draw a lot of principle of our faith today from. 
He is actually the father of the faithful. So phase one is it all began when Abraham was 75 years old. He was a little bit younger than Brother James. One year, he said. But at the age of 75, speaking of ages and and birthdays and all of that, there's someone here tonight that just came into the world and blessed their family, just a beautiful, handsome little baby boy. I'm looking for him, but I don't see him. Somebody's pointing, and I still don't see him. He's hiding. Um, I've been offered a substantial sum of money to do what I'm doing right now. <clears throat> I'm kidding. Um, but we just, he's brought just bouncing little baby boy, just brought so much joy and happiness to his family and all that when he was born. And they're still celebrating him. And today's a big birthday for Colt here. He's turning 21. He has finally reached manhood status, right? So. <laughs> Happy birthday, Colt. You know, we don't normally do these kind of things from the pulpit, but this just fit tonight right here in my Bible study. So it was just a good opportunity uh, to make this work. So Abraham's dream, phase one of faith usually begins with a dream. People have a dream of something amazing happening. And at the age of 75, God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12 and says, I will make you into a great nation. The second phase of faith is a decision to believe that or not. He had to make a decision to believe that or not. And his decision of belief, his choosing to believe that, was based on his obedience to that. The Bible said in Genesis 12, 4, So Abraham left as the Lord told him to. The second phase of faith is delay. At age 86, Abraham said in Genesis chapter 16, 11 years later, 11 years later, but Sarah, he said, still had not borne any children. And then comes phase four with faith, and that's the difficulty of it. At age 99, Abraham questioned in Genesis 17 and 18, how can a son be born to a man my age? Well, God defies all the odds as he does over and over and over. And so Isaac is finally born. We all know the story. And here comes what seems to be the cruel, um, harsh, very disappointing Uh, fifth phase of faith, and I will just simply call it the dead end. It's when you have believed and believed and believed, God has finally answered your prayer, and now you're seeing things begin to materialize in your life and things are beginning to happen. It happens to church people all the time. These things happen all the time. Isaac is about 12 years old, and God gives him that command. Take your only son whom you love and sacrifice him to me. I dare say that there's hardly a parent sitting in this building right now that could do that. Am I right? Can we be honest? I don't think I could. But then phase six of faith comes again through the life of Abraham when God comes to him on top of Mount Moriah and says, don't lay your hand on the boy. Now I know. And the ultimate uh, byproduct of faith is deliverance. Don't hurt the boy. I have provided a substitute. So when you're going through Christian development, when you're going through trials, and, and, and you're going through hard times, and I know we hear this, but I hope you can take it a little bit deeper tonight than we normally would perhaps But sometimes when you're going through the various phases of faith, 
It is absolutely necessary. It is incumbent upon us to remember the promise of God. Paul said in Romans 4, 17, as it is written, God told Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations. Now, what God didn't tell Abraham was how he was going to do that. But we would take a hold of something like that and just run with it. God is going to do something amazing with me. God spoke to me. God's going to do something tremendous in my life. We've all done that. And then the bottom falls out. And it's hard to see where God even has a path to do anything with our life. One translation said, Abraham believed in God who gives life to the dead and who creates something out of nothing. And then I'll remind you when the Bible said, Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Paul said in Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. One translation of, of Romans 12, 12 said, let your hope keep you joyful. Be patient in your troubles. And pray at all times. Does anybody struggle with that or am I by myself in that? Have you ever, have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? Can anybody say like 24-7? <laughs> One of the most difficult things in life is to sit in God's waiting room. God's waiting room is when there's something beyond your control that you can't speed up. An answer to prayer, a miracle, a change in a situation. You want it to change, but it is totally out of your control, and you have to wait on God. I told the story a thousand times, but our, our buying this building was one of the greatest times of waiting I've ever experienced in my life. I, I still ponder it sometimes we waited 14 months for what I, I still see no real benefit maybe eternity will reveal things I'm not questioning God but I mean I, I still don't understand it the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3:11. one translation says God does everything just right and on time but people can never completely understand what he's doing such a true statement we don't always know what God is doing, and, and then we don't know when he's going to do what he said he would do. And so much of life we spend waiting on God's timetable. And so tonight, for a few minutes, we're going to take a look at Abraham. I am going to give all of you a stroke, but I'm going to resuscitate you really quick. I've come to the pulpit tonight with 15 pages of notes, and I just flipped over to page 3. <clears throat> but I'm going to break this one up in some parts here tonight. So, come on, don't you do Breathe, breathe, breathe. <laughs> if any man on this planet had to wait on God, it was Abraham. And the poor man didn't have a smartphone. He didn't have a game. He didn't have an app. He didn't have a computer. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have nothing to keep him occupied. The man walked around in a desert. There wasn't even really any nice scenery to look at. I, I, I'm being honest tonight. I've, I've been to where they believe he walked around and uh, actually stood in a place where historians are absolutely positive without any shadow of a doubt Abraham walked right through here. I don't know how they do all that, but they did. There was nothing there but a pile of rocks and a bunch of sand, and he waited. He waited. We can't wait for something to happen next week. This man waited almost 20 years. But Abraham had to wait for a long time. It was a long time to wait. So what do you do when you're waiting on God? Everybody hates this word, but I'm going to use it anyway. The first thing you must do is understand that faith involves a process. We hate process. I feel like I've been processed. I feel like sometimes I'm a can of potted meat. I've just been processed and processed and processed and processed. So let's talk for just a few moments about the six phases of faith, and then we will uh, continue on. God always takes you through predictable phases and stages of faith. 
the first phase of faith is when God gives you a dream. God gives you something on the inside. He inspires you with an idea. He gives you an ambition. He gives you a goal. God gives you a dream. At age 75, God gave Abraham a dream. and He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, but that's just the start. And then Abraham moves on to phase two, and that's he has a decision to make. Do I want to be a father of a great nation or not? Well, to Abraham, it probably sounded pretty cool, and I don't think he understood totally what that meant. Uh, I don't know that he totally understood that I'm going to be technically the first Jewish man on this planet, or at least the beginning of the Jewish people, and they're going to grow into this amazing nation, and nobody's going to be able ever to destroy them unless God wills it to happen. Then he makes a decision. I'm going to go along with it. Sounds like God is legit. It sounds like I've heard the voice of God. It's not my mind. It's not the devil. God has spoken to me, and I'm going to make that decision. And so a decision is when you decide to act on that dream, that ambition, that goal that you believe God has given you. And a dream without a decision is worthless. A dream without a decision being made to pursue it, the dream is worthless. And every dream of God has a risk to it. Believe you me, it does. It has a part where you have to take a step of faith into the complete and total unknown and not knowing how it's all going to pan out. Abraham had to leave his existing homeland, his roots, his establishment, he, and he had to go a place, go to a place he never knew, a place he had never heard of, a place he had never been before. So he was willing, in obedience to that voice he heard from God, he was willing to take the risk. He was willing to obey God. So when God gives you a dream and says, this is what I want you to do with your life, there's going to come a point when you have to make the decision to say, okay, God, I'm going to go after your dream for my life and set my dream for my life aside. So once you've done that, you move into phase three. And this is where God says, okay, and he pats you on the back and says, good job, I appreciate that. Now, let's, um, let's have a little delay here. Uh, let's wait. Let's go to the upper room, and I'm going to promise you the infilling of the Holy Ghost, but you're going to sit there for a week and a half, two weeks before it happens. There comes a delay. A dream is never fulfilled instantly. It's never fulfilled instantly. When God gives you an idea of what he wants to do with your life and when he actually fulfills it, there's always a time gap because he wants to grow you. And there's a thousand illustrations of this in the Bible. He wants to grow you. He wants to build you up. Eleven years after God gave Abraham his dream, Abraham still didn't have a child. When he was 86, it says, but Sarah still has not born any children. What happened in those 11 years? The answer is simply nothing. He's just simply waiting on God. There, he's no doubt tempted to doubt. He's tempted to despair. He's tempted to take detours. But God says, no, you're going to wait for the fulfillment of the dream that I have given you for your life. The fourth phase of faith comes in its difficulty. So God not only lets you wait for a while, but while you wait, he lets you have some problems. And it looks like your life is falling apart. Anybody hear me tonight? And it's, it's not a whole lot of fun. So you go through the stage of difficulty where things go from bad to really bad to worse to impossible. And notice that at the age 99, Abraham still did not have a son. He's 99. His wife is 89. It says, how can a son be born to a man my age? It's not possible. It's physically not possible. What's worse is that God changed Abraham's name to what he was going to be. <laughs> That's encouraging. You're going to be the father of many nations, but you don't have a son yet. You don't have that child yet. He was Abram. God changed his name to Abraham, which means, as you all know, father of a great nation. So imagine this. He walks into a place of business and the man behind the counter says, what's your name? And he said, the father of, great, of a great nation. And the man behind the counter says, oh, how many kids do you have? None. Sounds kind of stupid, don't it? But across the board, across the board, this across the board is how God works in our development of understanding faith. 
his heart. It's kind of embarrassing sometimes. God spoke to me and said, he's going to do this and that and this and that. And there is no evidence of nothing. And then on top of that, things start falling apart in your life. You lose your job, things, you know, all kinds of things happen. But eventually God fulfills a dream in age 100 and his wife is age 90. They have a miracle baby and they name him Isaac, which means laughter because they laughed at the thought. And again, Sarah's 90 years old and we know she didn't believe God when God said, you're expecting a child. She laughed about that. And any woman who really believed God and who's 90 years old and she's told she's expecting a child probably would have cried. I don't know what, what Sarah thought was funny. Maybe it was just the absurdity of the whole thing. I can tell you right now, I know some ladies here tonight, I'm married to one. If she walked in the house and made that announcement, I guess we'd have to accept it as a miracle. It's about the only way that could happen. You all understand what I'm saying here tonight. So they have their miracle boy. And they think this is great. And the promise through all of this waiting and through all of the difficulty and through all the delays and through all of that, this baby is finally born and praise God, we're finally here. And man, this is amazing. But then when they're really enjoying their little boy and he's reaching that age where you know, he's 12 years old and transitioning maybe into the beginnings of, of, of manhood on some level and he's not a little infant anymore God proposes this statement to Abraham I want you to take him to the top of a mountain and give him to me and uh, it's a dead end it's the dead end of faith because there's no hope here Abraham's asked to give up his miracle. I don't know that there's a lot of people in the Bible, Brother Donnie, that's been asked to give up their miracle, but Abraham was. God usually don't take back what he gives you. But this time he did. Abraham, I see you and Sarah's really happy with that little boy I gave you, but I'd like to have him back. That ultimate trial of faith where God asked you to give your, your dream that he gave you, to give it back. All of your plans, all of your aspirations, everything. I know we're all Americans here tonight, and we, we, we all have our, our cultural thought patterns, and, you know, we're mired in, and I know how hard it was for our family to move to Youngstown. I know how hard it was for us to start evangelizing, and I told God over and over I did not want to evangelize. I have a wife and two kids, and I don't want to haul them all around the country in a travel trailer and all that, and guess what God wanted me to do? And I wrestled with that for a year. It's amazing that God gives you a dream and then kind of sours the whole thing by asking you to do something you don't want to do. Somebody needs to hear me tonight. I don't know who, but this God's talking to somebody here tonight. And after Abraham's huge, just rising to the very pinnacle of faith and feeling close to God and God is really real and this thing is real and God is real and his word is real and the promise of God is real and it's just real, 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 real. Everything is real about Jesus, and we're so excited and just blowing it up. Can't wait to next Sunday church, and God speaks to you again. I just, I don't know how to process this. I, I, I've wrestled with the story of Abraham and Isaac all of my life since I've heard it. I want you to sacrifice your son to me, and no doubt Abraham is thinking, what kind of God is this? Is this some kind of a cruel joke? He's asking me to sacrifice the very dream child that he has promised me. And you feel pretty hopeless. So how do you know when you're in a dead end, when you, when you feel hopeless is how you know? That's when people kill themselves. I've read many, after a number of psych, psychologists, psychiatrists, they've come to the conclusion that when people take their own life, they've come to the end of the road, they believe, and there is no more hope for them. So they terminate their life. So how do you know when you're in a dead end? And your relationship with God, your future, your marriage, all of that, you feel hopeless. There's no hope. So some of you have reached a dead end in your marriage right now. Some of you may be at a dead end in wanting to get married. Some of you are at a dead end when you look at your budget. 
when you look at your career, when you look at your friendships, when you look at your relationships. Some are perhaps are at a, a physical dead end and your health is falling apart. When you're at this stage, you start to doubt and question God's wisdom, God's love, and say, why are these things happening to me? It's sitting in God's waiting room and it's totally and completely out of your control. Congratulations when you reach this point because God is getting you ready. He is preparing you for the final phase of faith and that is deliverance where it is totally and completely hopeless. God is taking you all from all the way down here to all the way up there and now he drops you back down again further than you were before and you're totally and completely hopeless. What we have to understand and it ha this has happened to most everybody in this building tonight, if you care to believe it. The more hopeless the situation, the greater the deliverance is going to be. It's kind of like the darker the night is, the brighter the light is. You understand that? When you're, when you're putting hope against the backdrop of hopelessness, it's sometimes hard to see, but if you can, it's almost blinding. The miracle is, is it's going to be God, you can't forget the promise. Remember, I said that at the very beginning, and this is why I don't want you to take it generically. You have to remember what God promised, and fortunately, Abraham did. When he was taking Isaac up the mountain, he told his servants, you wait here, and the lad and I will come again to you. He never gave up hope on God's amazing, tremendous plan for his life and that it was going to come to pass as God said it would. <clears throat> but you can't see that way out. Only God could have done that. Only God could have done that. <clears throat> I want to say this in passing, and I'm, I'm not going to get in a huge hurry tonight. If I don't finish, we'll pick it up uh, on the next Wednesday night as God wills. But I'll never forget, uh, Brother Tom shared with me, one, I believe it was a Sunday morning after church. His lips was quivering, tears streaming down his face, and he talked to me about a, 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 how God can prepare things for his people where they seem hopeless um, he told me about the story of, of, of Samson when Samson defeated some of the Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey and uh, I never thought of it uh, this before and I actually preached a sermon out of it with his permission and, and certainly gave him the credit for the inspiration of it but uh, God had to cause that donkey to somehow break away from its owner and get lost in the wilderness for some amount of time and die and his his body just completely decomposed to where all that was left was that jawbone because God knew Samson would need it so God had to rewind the tape and calculate how long would it take for a donkey's carcass to reach that point where it would literally be a weapon he prepared something for Samson and he did the same thing for Abraham. A shepherd moving a herd of sheep through that wilderness. God ordained it without the shepherd knowing it or seeing it for a ram to stray away. And God before that had to plant a thicket somewhere on Moriah and to grow to the perfect height and size for that ram to get caught up in it because Abraham was going to need it that day when God told him to sacrifice his son. We don't understand sometimes when we're on our very, the very bottom rung of the ladder, the very bottom of life, how God has started preparing our deliverance weeks, months. I'm going to tell you something with this building. It's not ironic to me anymore at all. As we sat on the back patio at my in-law's house, right back here and we watched them build this building in the late 90s having no idea where it would all end up at sister Murphy and I used to vote in this building and we'd walk around in the sanctuary and they just had the, the sconces on on the inside and we'd walk through here several times saying man wouldn't it be amazing to have a building like this having no idea God is smiling and said I prepared this for you a long time ago
So I believe there's people here tonight, God is getting you ready for a miracle. A miracle to what? To a situation that you deem is hopeless. And your deliverance is understanding his process. So everyone in this room, is God is going to take you through these six phases of faith many, many times in your life. Over and over again, you'll go from dream to decision to delay to difficulty to dead end to deliverance. And he'll do it again and again and again. And he'll keep you growing in faith and growing in faith and growing in faith. In fact, everybody in this room, everybody in this room right now is in some phase of faith. There, there's people here tonight that you're struggling to see a way out. Some are rejoicing because God gave them a way out. Somebody came to my office uh, a couple of weeks ago and God has provided a, a huge miracle in their life. God made a way for them to purchase their very first home. And they were so excited. There's other people here tonight that's worried that you're going to lose your home. Everybody's in different phases of faith. But if we can remember and continue to rehearse, continue to rehearse, continue to rehearse God's plan in our life. If God sets you on a path, the steps of a righteous man, the steps of a good man, the Bible says, or ordered of the Lord. I've reminded myself of that 10,000 times this year. Don't, don't be discouraged. Don't, don't turn in on God. Don't let your faith just be wrecked by what you see going on around you. Because God put you here. Um, God ordained for you to be here. And God don't put you in a situation and then walk away from you when you're in the middle of it. He follows through with you. He'll go with you to the very end of it. I'm going to teach this point. And then I'm going to conclude, but I want to start at this point uh, next Wednesday night, Lord willing. So the next thing you have to do while you're waiting on God to move in your life is to remember what God can do. We believe tonight, I hope we all believe, that if God did something once, he can certainly repeat it. He usually don't do that because what he does next is greater than what he did before. And we've all experienced God in that way. So the situation may be out of your control, but it's not out of God's control. Um, there's two men here tonight, and I'm not going to identify who they are, but both of them have lost their jobs recently. And it's interesting to me that when they have no more options, <laughs> uh, one of them talked to me recently. It was just kind of giving me an update that, hey, it's getting serious now. I need a job. We're, we're getting to that point where, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no more money and, and something's going to have to happen. It's interesting to me that God didn't give this person a job two days after he lost his first job. But God waited and waited and waited and waited. And you're like, come on, God. And God, no, not yet. You're, you're not nearly at the end of your rope. You think you are. But if you look down, you've got 20 more feet of rope that you can slide down before you tie the knot in the end of it. I'm going to wait till you get all the way down there. And we feel a whole lot, we feel oftentimes that our situation is a whole lot more desperate. And God is looking at it as, ain't that big a deal. I've got this. Don't worry about it. But he don't tell you that. He don't always say it that way, but if you hold on, he comes through. So the situation may be out of your control, but it's not out of God's control. There's nothing ever out of God's control. So you can't focus on what you can't do. You can't focus on what you can't do. This is where you transition your focus over to what God can do. So what God can do is take a 100-year-old man and his 90-year-old wife and start a nation of people with them that still exist on this planet today and they're unbeatable. Nations have tried, you all know it, have tried to get rid of them lock, stock, and barrel and they can't do it. So we can't focus on what we can do. And as pastor, I have a propensity to do that often. I pray and I tell God I just can't help these people anymore. God, I can't 
do this anymore. God, I can't. And I have to remind myself it's not based on what I can do or not. It's based on what he can do. And he can do all things. And he always has. God has never left me. He's never, ever forsaken me. So the scripture one more time in Romans 4, 17, as it is written, God making Abraham the promise, I have made thee a father of many nations. So this verse is the definition of a miracle. In a miracle, here's what happens. Either God gives life to something that was dead, either God gives life to something that was dead, or he creates something out of nothing. It has to get hopeless oftentimes to us before God steps in. We all know this, but I have felt compelled hard all day today to share this with you tonight. That's what God can do. So in conclusion tonight, and I'm going to pick up next Wednesday night, Lord willing, he can give life to a dead career. He can give life to a dead marriage. He can give life to dead dreams and dead finances. He can bring something out of nothing because Jesus said anything is possible. If you have the faith, it's not just if you have the faith, but if you're willing to go through the process of faith, if you're willing to follow him. And again, there's great numbers of illustrations of this in the Bible. So notice something very important in conclusion. What did Abraham put his faith in? We all know that he had great faith. What did he put his faith in? What did he believe in? I don't find anywhere in this process that Abraham ever believed in himself. He didn't believe in his feelings. He didn't put his faith in faith. He didn't even practice positive thinking. Just very simply, the man believed God. He just believed him. When God said, I'm going to do this, he took God at face value, and he believed what God said. I know people tonight, and so do you, and I hope there's none here tonight, that God has made promises. Don't believe it no more. I know people that have taken that posture. And I, I, I felt assurance in my heart many, many times when I've met people like this, that if you just hang on just for another day or two, another week or two, that God was going to take care of it. I, one of the most marvelous positive illustrations I've, I've ever witnessed, I was able to just kind of sit on the sideline and just watch the whole thing, was when I watched Dave and Farrah Bunch and their family go through a series of trial that I still don't understand. But these two people and their two kids believed God. I remember driving... Sister Murphy and I drove Brother Dave to Memphis, and on the way there, periodically, he'd just break down and cry. But he never accused God. He never pointed a finger at God. And to my knowledge, he never even asked God, why is my son apparently dying with leukemia? And I believe God used that. I believe it was a nurse at St. Jude when we finally got there that night and they took us back to the little intensive care room where they would ultimately put Dawson. Whoever the person was said to Brother Dave, we're going to take care of your son. He's going to be okay. He's, he's not going to die. You don't have to worry about that. And I thought that is strong words for somebody to say. And then later it kind of hit me. I believe this was God speaking through that person. Just trust me. It's going to be a long, trying ordeal. And Oh, by the way, I'm not going to let you on this little secret, but there's going to come a flood during about halfway through all this stuff, and it's going to destroy your house, and you're going to lose every possession you have virtually. But don't worry about it. I've got it. So now that we can rewind and, 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 and we know how this, how this story ends, if you go to their house now, and if you see their son now, if you see their daughter now, you'd say, man, God has blessed those people. And I am so happy he did. He did. But he blessed them with a bigger, better house than what they had before. 
And Dawson, last I heard, his last checkup at Memphis, he shows no signs of having leukemia. What can you say? It's imperative that we remember the promise that God made to us. Stand with me tonight. I'm so thankful you folks are so faithful on Wednesday night. You come every Wednesday night. We don't have music and we don't bounce off the walls. I just stand up here and kind of talk to you and share things with you in the Word of God. And I'm so glad you come. I'm so thankful. As Brother Jason said, you're a strength to me. You're a blessing to me to see all of you here. I love Grace Church. I love you people. And I want you to trust God. He's got you in the palm of his hand. Father, we love you tonight. We're thankful for this amazing time to literally gather around the word of God and to break it like bread and every piece of it. It's full of power and anointing. It's full of promise. It's full of hope. And it challenges our faith. And sometimes, God, it's hard because we're human. And we struggle sometimes so bad. We know you've made promises, but we see no, we see nothing happening. We see no evidence of anything like that ever coming to pass in our lives. And we just see one dead end right after another. But where we feel like that now, there always comes that time when we are able to look back and say, you know what, God did do exactly what he said he would do. And we've all experienced that. But again, when we come to delay, when we come to difficulty, when we come to dead end, we, we still... Even knowing, God, that you brought us through so many things, we still want to throw our hands up and quit and say, what's the use? But I'm asking you, God, to intervene tonight on somebody's behalf and let them feel the glory and the presence of the Lord here tonight, that you would minister to them, that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, that you would comfort them, that this is a process, it's a phase. And if we'll just keep hanging on and just believe your promise, you'll give it and count it to us as righteousness. And we will come out with far more in the end than we did at the beginning. Help us, oh God, not to give up and not to be weary in well-doing. For we'll reap if we faint not. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. God bless you tonight. We'll see you Sunday morning. Thank the Lord. <clears throat>